0: Welcome to Hidden God, a podcast where we explore issues of theology and culture provided by Tulsa Bible Church. If you'd like more information, check out our website at tulsabible.org.
1: Well, hey, welcome back. My name is Daniel Newberry. I'm joined by Jared Verweel and Maddie Boltinghouse today. How are y'all doing? Great, doing oh, pretty good. good. Pretty good. Awesome, awesome. Excellent.
0: Hump day. It's Wednesday.
1: It is. It is always always Hump Day.
0: And you know what I had this morning for breakfast? Get out of here. No, what, what did you have? Breakfast burrito.
1: Wow, where from? Chick Fil okay. <laughs> A. Actually, <laughs> under exaggerated. Wow. Okay. Cool, Jerry. <laughs> hey Great. man, Great. it's good not every you. day that I have a breakfast burrito.
0: <laughs> I was very excited about it. Man, a coffee and a breakfast burrito—it was the way to start. Me and Henry were That's going awesome. through some proverbs together.
1: It's awesome at Chick Fil A.
0: At Chick Fil A. It's
1: good. No better place to talk about the Bible than at Chick Fil A. That's right. So Chick Fil A breakfast burrito—is that your top burrito? Personally,
0: not my top. Okay. When I was in seminary at Dallas, uh, in Dallas, mm-hmm. there's a place called the Taco Joint, hmm. and it opened up like a block away from the seminary, and we we're just kind of like, eh, Taco Joint, whatever. Sounds cool. Maybe we'll go (laughs) check it out. So we go there, and we get their breakfast burritos. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) They were, like, melting in my mouth good. Mm. I mean, slap your mama good. (laughs) (laughs) It was just loaded with meat, very little eggs in there, loaded with Mm. meat, and then they had this special, like, jalapeno sauce on top of it.
1: It's a gourmet burrito. Changed my life. That's awesome. That's awesome. Man, I don't think anybody could possibly beat that. That's so original. That's so original. But uh, Maddie, what what about you? Breakfast burrito, where do you go?
2: It's got to be Chick-fil-A. Oh. Chick-fil-A. So I support um, the choice this morning for breakfast, Jared. But (laughs) I I don't want the chicken burrito. Like, they have a chicken breakfast burrito because, you know, eat more chicken. Right. Right. Not getting beef there. Daniel. They bring beef in. No way. Well, okay. No, they don't. Not really beef. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they have a different meat. It's the sausage burrito oh. is that I like the best. Wow. Yes. Right. It, is, it has also a lot of wonderful things inside, but... Like, um, you know, they're little like mini hash browns.
0: Wonderful things <laughs> sure, inside. <yes. laughs> in
2: <my laughs> they're mini hash browns. The Guys, my burrito. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <The> mini Matt, <laughs> hash browns <laughs> inside. But the thing that makes the burrito for me, everybody, is the jalapenos, um, like a salsa. Peca- yeah, salsa mm. with it. Yeah. Mm. That makes it. That's excellent.
1: That's delicious. So while Jared was eating your favorite burrito, yes. he was dreaming about his favorite burrito, not even appreciating
0: I, and and I did in fact have the sausage so, this morning. You did Yeah. Talk about iron. So I think could, I like it job. better than the chicken yeah, as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Man, that's awesome. Well, for me, I'm gonna go completely unoriginal. Okay, actually, I've got I've kind of got two here. Okay. Because Rachel makes incredible breakfast burritos. Wow. I mean, they are just man, they rock your socks off. And she every now and then when our eggs we we buy tons of eggs. You can go to Walmart and buy a box of sixty eggs for like. Three dollars. I'm not joking. And so we buy a box of 60 eggs every time we go because it's like 50 cents more than the 18-pack. And near the end of the month, whenever they're about to expire, right before they expire, she just cooks them all up, whatever's left, scrambles them, and then puts them in burritos and freezes them. So we've just got like tons of breakfast burritos. Mm -hmm. And they're so good. She puts eggs, cheese, and she slices up like fresh jalapenos in there and sausage. I've just never had a breakfast burrito that good. But when that doesn't happen, if I'm ever craving a burrito and she hasn't made those, I always go to Sonic and I get the ultimate breakfast burrito. Mm. Um, that's been my, my go-to burrito for a long time. Nothing creative about it, it really is, it's okay. Honestly, it's not even the best, it's not even that great of a burrito. It's just where I go, so that's mine.
0: You know, and what can't you put in a burrito?
1: Exactly, that's the that's, thing about burritos, mm-hmm. Jared. You could do anything. <laughs>
0: It's like they're, I don't know. They're, they're just the, the variety, yeah. the tastes, yeah. the options that are out there.
1: Yeah. Put in a burrito. It's better, dude. This is literally the conversation I was having with Kent Shu like a year and a half ago. It's, it was a great, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Anything. All right. We should get into our episode. Uh, we're continuing our series talking about sexuality. I think, is this our first episode on it or is this our second episode on it? This is our second episode Part talking two. about sexuality. Um, And and why don't you start us off, Jerry? What do we got?
0: Yeah, part two, of sexuality and gender. Today, a book recently came out just last year. Uh, It was written by Carl Truman, probably an author that you guys might have heard of in the past. He wrote a book called The Rise and the Triumph of the Modern Self. And in this book, it's been on Twitter. It's been out there. uh, Evangelical resources are putting this thing out like crazy. And it really is a great, great book. When we did our top books Mm -hmm. for the year at the end of the year, this was one of mine. Hmm. And in this book, chapter six, he's got a chapter called Sigmund Freud, Civilization and Sex. Hmm. And he analyzes the development of the sexual revolution as a symptom of the human search for identity, not the cause, but actually a, a symptom of it. And it's a, what we're gonna start out with as we begin to explore this topic on homosexuality in the Bible, is just how Sigmund Freud, how his influence has had a major um, effect in how people are understanding sexuality and their identity today. Hmm. It, he was a game changer yeah, in many ways.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and actually in that section that you gave us to read from that book, we saw that Freud's influence on Western culture, it really cannot be overstated. Um, before Freud, sex was primarily an activity for procreation or even for recreation, but it was never wrapped up in someone's identity. But after Freud, sex... Um, it became definitive of who we are right so our contemporary culture has shifted from seeing sexual activity as exactly that an activity to now it is your identity how you how you choose to have sex identifies who you are major shift major shift and as a result one sex drive is becoming the most powerful force of influencing a person's behavior today Yeah.
2: And then last week, remember from last week on this episode, part one, um, or last episode, part one, Mm. the romantic period um, was a time when people considered their experiences and then their inner feelings as their primary source of truth. So what am I experiencing? What am I feeling? And then that is my primary source of truth. Mm. So the goal of human existence in this period, in the romantic period, is to be happy. And so that's the goal. Um, but it was Freud that specifically identified happiness with sexual pleasure. Mm. So he's the one that kind of b- bridged the grap- gap or made the connection. Um, I am happy um, if I am sexually fulfilled or have that experience, that sexual pleasure.
1: Mm.
0: Totally crazy. Yeah. yeah, Truman wrote that Freud provided the West with a very compelling myth. And and whether this is true or not, it's, it is a myth, obviously, but but whether you accept it as true or not really doesn't matter. Uh, people believe this, right? So here's what Freud suggested, was that sexual desire and fulfillment is a real key to what it means to be human. At the end of the day, what does it mean to be living as a human being on this earth? Well, look to your sexual desires, there you're gonna find your answer. Mm. And to substantiate his claim, Freud started with sexual sexualization in children, and he developed a taxonomy of growth development stages. You know all about this from teaching. Uh, I know for sure. Think about Maslow's text, taxonomy, all that kind of stuff. Um, he developed stages of growth based on sexual desire, starting from an infant when it, when an infant breastfeeds to the time when a, a teenager experiences masturbation for the first time. Those were the key markers for your development into your identity and your sexualization. It's It's just... Crazy! Don't worry about learning benchmarks, you know, motor skills, anything like that. We're just going right to right to sex. Hmm. Crazy.
1: Yeah, and, and masturbation was actually a, a key component of what. Uh, sorry, bringing sexualization into childhood, and so uh, yeah. you know, opposed as opposed to the the religious voices of his day, Freud saw masturbation as completely normal and a, a functionally it was a part of how children grew up, basically, right? He saw that as just natural, uh, whereas religion back then would have said, no, masturbation is a sin. Today, we say masturbation is a sin, and and Freud completely disagreed with that. In fact, he, he, he decided that Well, he decided, he concluded that religion was a childish way of handling the world around us. Um, He concluded that religion was a sign of immaturity. You know, as a kid, you have these hopes and dreams and what you wish would happen. And he thought that religion was just the adult version of that. You couldn't hold let go of reality or you couldn't get a grip on reality. You couldn't let go of your dreams and your fantasies. And the same way that kids eventually grow out of Santa Claus, he was comparing it kind of to that, you know, an adult today who would believe in Santa Claus would be immature, childish. He was saying the same thing about religion.
0: Yeah. It was wish fulfillment yeah, exactly. is a term that he used a lot. Hey, you're supposed to, as you get to be an adult, you move past those childish things, mm-hmm. right? So when you're little, you can look to God as like a father, protector, um, give you comfort, security, all those kind of things. When you're an adult, hey, listen, we protect ourselves, mm-hmm. we make our own choices, we get past these childish things, just like you were saying. And in in effect, what he was doing is he was uh, agreeing with Nietzsche, a voice before his, God is dead. Right. Why are you living your life toward these moral, religious imperatives? they're really just holding you in bondage, what you need to do is be liberated from that as an adult and get past those things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And one of the implications of that belief and Freud's emphasis on this is now in today society, contemporary education, not only approves, but promotes the lie that um, a child's sexual instincts should be liberated from those traditional sexual codes um, that we've seen in the past and then at the same time he wants and now he wanted this and now education does this there's an elimination of religious influence Mm -hmm. um, in their sex ed classes and you know all we see so in education if we trust the education system to yep. educate our children on sex or, um, you know, of stuff of the like that they are not going to, ha- it's not going to have any influence from mm-hmm. religious, um, you know, points of view and won't be traditional at yeah. all anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: When did you guys have sex ed in school? Because you guys both public school. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was too. What, what grade did you have uh, sex education?
2: I'm pretty sure mine was fifth grade.
0: Yeah, Mine, mine was fifth, too.
2: Yeah, Mine, I jumped around a lot. I,
1: I finished in public school. Did you fail the fifth grade? Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. No. Uh, when I would have had that education, I was homeschooled. And so, um, man, it was weird. <laughs> <So Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the homeschool education of it was a little odd. So, uh, yeah. But about... Not fifth grade middle schoolish yeah yeah
0: it's it seems to be that that age where the public schools at least are teaching sex ed is is getting lower and lower mm, it, yeah. it just keeps going down yeah. before I think you probably would have been middle school for sure eighth grade um, but now it's pretty typical fourth or fifth grade yeah you're gonna get yeah. sex ed classes.
1: Because you should have a full understanding of your sexual identity by the time you're in fourth grade. Yeah. Well, my, mine grief. wasn't
2: a full understanding. No. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, yeah, it was um, not comprehensive. My sex ed wasn't. So, no.
0: <laughs> no doubt, I'm I'm the same way, and way too immature to handle oh, yeah. what those textbooks were teaching us at that <laughs> that level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, here's what we've experienced coming out of the 1900s and from the likes of Freud, is this perfect storm, right? On the one hand, you've got uh, the romantic period that's all about the inner experience. It's all about your feelings as a source of truth, which are, I mean, feelings are subjective. Emotions are subjective. Uh, To say anything objective about that is almost a contradiction of terms. You know, it just doesn't make sense, but that's exactly what they what they believed coming out of the Romantic period. You had Freud's psychoanalysis, this scientific push for psychology is the the father of modern psychology uh, with its anchor in sexual orientation, new terms that are coming up at this time, and the mark of a person's identity being solely rooted in their sexual desires starting from a very early age. And then you've got the postmodern culture, on the other hand, that lives for self And a desire to be again liberated from all authority so we're done with religion now we're done with any objective truth or absolute truth whatsoever you've got a a free for all for all culturally in terms of um identity and and understanding any kind of submission to authority so so all these things together Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you wonder why our culture and our time is experiencing what it's experiencing. Yeah, with sexual orientation, it's it really has been the perfect storm.
1: Yeah, everything Freud taught has has shaped what our culture believes about all of that today.
0: Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So, broadly speaking, though, let's let's transition this to some scriptures and talk about Old Testament, New Testament passages. Daniel, I'll start with you. Um, What what does the New Testament say? Just if you Mm kind of, you get an overview. Yeah. Homosexuality specifically. What Mm -hmm. does the New Testament tell us about that?
1: There are a lot of passages that you could go to that, you know, very specifically talk about that. Um, I'll list a few here. Romans 1, uh, verses 18 through 27. You can go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. Jude 1, 7. Those passages are kind of like the go-to's where people uh, would go in the New Testament to understand homosexuality and the scripture's view on it. But obviously we can't go through all those today. (laughs) But I I do just want to look at Romans chapter one really quick and kind of just, just kind of talk about what Paul's view is on on homosexuality here. So I could start in verse 18, but for the sake of time, I'm going to start in verse 24 and I'm just going to read a few verses for us here um, and get an idea. It says, therefore, God delivered them over and the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. And in verse 26, he says, for this reason, because they created, they worshiped the creation rather than him, rather than God. It says, for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful Passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. So he talks about this sexual desire for the same gender, homosexuality, and he puts it in the terms of God handed them over to these evil passions and these desires that they had. It's in the context of they were rebelling against God, and in that rebellion, they decided they decided to pursue these passions. From a surface-level reading, we read this and we think, clearly, Scripture says homosexuality is wrong. There is a There are several solid arguments against this um, that uh, some queer theologians have brought up. Uh, We can get into queer hermeneutics at some point in time, but they'll look at this passage and they will say, that when it says their women exchanged natural sexual relations their men exchanged natural sexual relations that word natural they're saying is is not so much in the context of what they were designed to do but rather what society expected them to do Mm -hmm. and so in the roman society that time it would be expected men would be with women and vice versa you would not have a man with a man and a woman with a woman and so the the opposite side would say this passage does not condemn homosexuality it's rather condemning it within that social context Mm So my rebuttal against this, just because I feel like it's important to say, if you were to actually study this text and look at the Greek and see what it was, the Greek word for natural here is, uh, shoot, how do you pronounce that? Fusis, something like that, it roots itself in the idea of something that, you know, the word we translate as natural, something has grown up in its original design, kind of like a plant. It, it, the root actually goes back to nature, plants and specifically. So plants naturally grow into what they were designed to be. It's not talking about something natural in the sense of a social context, but rather in a scientific context. So when we read this passage, we read that Paul The Holy Spirit through Paul is very specifically talking about how people, a desire for the same sex is abnormal to God's original design. Not to say that people shouldn't or that people don't feel those desires. Sin twists our hearts and it makes us feel all sorts of things. But to say that that is abnormal and and, and against what God's design originally was. And we could dive into all of those passages and talk about it from all different perspectives, but we don't have the time today. But very specifically, uh, the New Testament does condemn it, and um, it, it's, it is God will eventually, if people want to pursue that, he'll hand them over to their desires. You know? And he talks about that, the penalty of those desires uh, comes from that. But you, Jared, are an Old Testament scholar. And so I'm actually I don't, gonna, I don't know if I could have that far, but... Uh, you, you studied it. Uh, you know some stuff. You know <laughs> uh, so I'm going to turn the question back on you. What about the Old Testament? Where, what is, what do we learn there?
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you went to Romans 1, because remember, Paul was deeply rooted in the Old Te- Testament scriptures. Yeah. I mean, he knew the law better than anybody. And so a lot of that is informing his New Testament theology, especially as it pertains to Christ. Uh, humanity, the perfect fulfillment of what God designed us to be is the person of Christ, mm-hmm. right? And and um, Romans 1 is just a, a key, key chapter to look at when you're looking at this issue of homosexuality in the Bible. In the Old Testament, though, Leviticus, you, you're looking at the law, clearly says that homosexual, homosexuality is forbidden by God's law. Uh, Leviticus 18, 22, and chapter 20, verse 13, again, homosexuality, homosexuality is just very clearly forbidden, but there's two really brutal accounts of homosexuality and what we would call sodomy in the Bible that are the pinnacle of uh, sinfulness for Israel. And you would think, just think two 19s. Okay. Genesis 19 and judges 19 mm. and Genesis 19 of course is the story of Saddam and Gomorrah. And you have this passage about men physically wanting to get into Lot's household to rape and have sexual relations with other men. It's just, it's one of the sickest passages that you can, you can really think of. This is after the fall, of course, after Genesis three, and there's a big, uh, you know, who's, who's God going to use Abram or Lot? And we know that God called Abram, a special, significant calling on his life. Lot goes one direction, Abram goes the other, Abraham, and Man, this this passage in Genesis nineteen, the key phrase of it is almost repeated verbatim hmm. in Judges nineteen, uh, that the men were knocking at the door, wanting to know the other men. It's almost the exact same same phrases repeated in Judges nineteen, where the Benjamites, there's a Levite and his concubine are traveling through um, the the area of Benjamin and they stop in the town square, same town square that you read about in, in Genesis 19. And this guy says, look, you do not need to spend the night in this town square. It is not safe for you here. So he takes this Levite and his concubine into his house. The men of the Benjamite, Benjaminites find out that they the man was there. They come, same thing, knocking on the door. We want this man mm. to have sexual relations with him. And it's, in Judges 19, Israel is just so fallen and darkened. Um, it leads to a civil war in Israel. Is the time when there was no king in Israel. Everybody was doing um, what was right in their own eyes. And this becomes kind of the, uh, the climax or the, the descriptive, definitive um, idea of sinful Israel. Men doing what's unnatural with other men physically, hmm. like, barring down the door to do it. And, uh, man, dark, dark time yeah. in Israel's history. So, wow. Wow. so yeah, typically, it's interesting. Now, today, you don't hear the word sodomy very much anymore. It's true. And that word itself was associated with unnatural functions, immorality, uh, even sin mm-hmm. to, to a large extent. We're doing away with that word now because it's becoming more and more acceptable in the mm-hmm. culture to, to see these things as natural versus unnatural, which is kind of sad.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. it's a great answer. Right, spoken like a true uh, Old Testament scholar. <laughs> the 19s. <laughs> just remember the 19s.
0: But yeah, yeah. based on Genesis 1, though, it, this is a, a passage I want to come back to, and, Maddie, I want to get your insights from Genesis 1. Um, when you look at Genesis 1 and being created in the image of God, how should we understand that passage in terms of our sexuality?
2: Yeah, well, I love kind of what you guys have brought to light in Romans one, you know, that what's natural. What is the original design? No better place to start than Genesis one. Mm, so, true. <laughs> so um, and I'm gonna read just a little bit. Uh, Genesis one twenty-seven. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Obviously other things are said, um, you know, about male and female, but he created male and female. Now the original design, if we're thinking through, okay, what is the original design? What is natural? God created everything. there were no flaws in how he chose to, to create, you know, his creation was perfect. It's no mistake that he notes male and female that he created male and then female, and then blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Mm. How do you multiply? We all know <laughs> <For real. laughs> children.
1: Yes. No, um, we didn't have the talk here. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: We, uh, so, um, anyway that is his original design um and so when you think of you know the act of sex from the jump um you know even though it's not explicitly stated to multiply to be fruitful and multiply you know that has to happen and so there he didn't create two males he didn't create two females um and tell them to Mm -hmm. do that and you truly can only reproduce with a male and a female um and so just going back to Genesis 1 is going to give us a framework. What, how did God design it? Mm-hmm. You know, sin, sin is the thing that changes, um, you know, how our world views and, and, and approaches sex and thinks what, what they think is okay. But God designed it um, in this way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can go on more even in Genesis 2. It It, you know, describes a little bit more. Um, about them becoming man and wife, but in Genesis 1, I think it's just good to note male, female, reproduce. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And even connecting Genesis 1 to Romans 1, where you started, um, the, the thought that we take away is that God did create us in this way. And if He is creator, if He is sovereign, if He, if he is that powerful, for us to say, no, I'm not created that way because I feel something that's different inside. Right. We have basically put ourselves in the place of God. Mm-hmm. That's where you go right back to to Romans chapter one, where it's like, man, you guys are worshiping and serving something created rather than the creator. Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't, that's the pinnacle of idolatry yeah. right there. And mm-hmm. people just don't, I mean, when you're fallen, you just don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Get to that point. But um, Daniel, another New Testament passage that's kind of, tough here. Um, first Corinthians six eighteen. I want to, yeah. I want you to read this verse for us and just talk about, you know, people say that sexual sin mm-hmm. is the a different type of sin. It's worse right. than yeah. the other yeah. sins. And a lot of, a lot of people will go to this passage in first Corinthians. So walk us through that. Is, sure. is this sexual sin a worse kind of sin? Sure. Uh, what does the Bible say about that?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll just read the passage for you really quick. Uh, 1 Corinthians six eighteen reads, Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. So, okay, the, the first thing I'm going to, you know, I would bring up about this is what is the context of this first, of this, of what Paul is saying here. If you look back previously in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, looking at very specifically at verse one. <clears throat> Sorry, let me see if I can pull this up really quick. First Corinthians chapter five, verse one, it says, "It is act- he's speaking to the church, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. So mm-hmm. very specifically, contextually, in this personal letter that was written to a personal people group, Paul says, "I'm aware of the sexual morality that's going on inside your church." That's the context that this is spoken in. Going back to chapter 6, we read in in this passage, he's talking about the two uh, I'm sorry, he's talking about the body of Christ, and he says, you know, "Should I take a part of Christ's body in verse 15 and make it a part of a prostitute?" Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh. So he's talking about defiling the body of Christ by pursuing sexual immorality, and he's speaking to this people group. So if I was talking to a people group who, within their own church, within their own group, was struggling with sexual immorality, I would probably say, Flee from sexual immorality. Yeah. Don't you know that you're sinning against your body, right? No if I was, I mean, I would say that to the American church, mm-hmm. to the Asian church, which is going through a lot of other stuff right now. I don't really know if sexual immorality is an issue they're dealing with. Yeah. They're facing major persecution in a completely different way. I probably wouldn't bring this passage up to them because, in a general sense, I don't think Paul is trying to say sexual immorality is the worst kind of sin there is. He's simply saying, Corinthians, Mm -hmm. you are allowing sexual immorality to destroy your church. You're ruining your body. You need to flee from it. And all of us need to flee from it. But this, Paul is not saying this is the worst sin you could commit. Absolutely not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I have a hard time with categorizing sin in terms of worse, mm -hmm. better, you know. Yeah. Yeah. This one is more tolerable. Jerry Bridges wrote a book. Uh, called respectable sins. I don't know if I know the women's ministry did this not too long ago—a study on it. But yeah, th- we would think like, I mean, homosexuality is way worse than gossip, mm-hmm. or or homosexuality is way worse than, you know, telling a white lie to somebody. And in reality, it, what Paul talks about in this verse too is is things that are happening outside the body. Well, sin is something that comes from the inside, mm-hmm. comes from the heart. Yeah you know, and all of us apart from Christ's and the Holy Spirit's work in our life, that's that's where the issue starts is with our desires in the heart. And so, man, physically, outside of the body, yeah, there's certain things that we're gonna do that are sinful. Inside, it's a level playing field. Yeah, um, This homosexuality is just as bad as every other sin that violates the holiness of God.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and, and in that context, I would even go back and see what paul says in romans because in romans he calls himself the chief of sinners and i think that's a better takeaway for us to apply to ourselves than to say that you know to use verse 18 of first corinthians 6 here rather than saying oh we should take this and say that homosexual or the sexual sin is the worst thing instead we should look where he says in romans and says that he's the chief of sinners we should look the, the most important sin in our lives is a sin in, in ourselves, yeah. right. whether it's sexual or not. You know, if if you are someone who struggles with gossip, gossip's the worst sin. Yeah, it doesn't matter what other people are struggling with. You can't say, well, because they're gay, they're struggling with worse sin than I am. That right. doesn't. It doesn't matter. What matters is what's the sin in your life. That's right. the worst sin. And right. I think that's a better application, for if someone were to take anything away from this.
0: Absolutely, Yep. Yeah, Maddie. What um on a practical side, uh, this is pretty, uh, man, a hot topic in churches today. This is so difficult. I feel like I've teed you up for a, a really hard question here, but on the practical side, because it is difficult, we're seeing homosexuals that'll come into a church, you know, and and they're pursuing seeking truth, um, might consider themselves true believers might not who knows, you know, only God knows the heart. How as a church can we, love and reach out and serve uh, homosexuals, homosexual community, and still confront the reality of that with sin?
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a great question. And, you know, you will come in contact with it. I mean, it is not, you know, maybe before whenever people didn't, you know, feel like they could come out or whatever as gay and, and lesbian, but now you will, you will confront this or um, come in contact with this kind of thing but I love that um, you know we started talking about how like it is not the worst sin and Jesus um, other times whenever he's teaching on it um he throws it in the mix with other sins and doesn't give it a place of importance. Right. Um, and so I just think that's, I think that's wise we should follow Jesus's leadership. Mm. Um, mm. We want to engage in love with the people and we want to try and respond like Jesus. So yes, I just, I gave a cookie cutter, be like Jesus. <laughs> um, but but what I'm, tr- what I'm trying to say is, you know, in humility, love them and then give them the truth. Mm. So Jesus loves his people, obviously loves them the best and well, um, but he doesn't shy away from truth. And so I think a lot of times we'd be tempted to maybe not even give the truth to this person because we want to be especially hospitable. And we think that is love. Um, but God shows us and um just that we should approach it in a different way, and so, what the Bible does say about sex—sorry, um, homosexuality or same-sex attraction—does not represent everything um, that God has to say to homosexuals. Mm. And so, so good. the Bible is uh, yes, the Bible is clear on prohibiting this sin, but it is not the whole message. And so, we should approach these. You know, know, these people that struggle with this the same way. This is not all, they are not just horrible because they struggle with this. Um, They're horrible just because we're all sinners. Right, exactly. (laughs) So, for everyone, there's going to be a cost and a blessing to following Jesus. And so, nobody naturally is going to line up with how Jesus wants us to live, specifically in sexuality we are all broken sexually. So we naturally are attracted to the wrong things. Mm. And same sex attraction is just one of the expressions of that brokenness. You know, we, we all mess up (laughs) in that area. And so really is costly for everyone to remain faithful to Jesus, um, in this area. It's not like to straight people or people who prefer the opposite sex that God says, okay, you're doing good. Go have fun. (laughs) And then to people who struggle with same sex attraction, he's like, okay, now with you though, you (laughs) need to rein it in. I mean, we're kind of like on a level playing field in that way. So I say that though, because in humility, we now it's not this, some just unreachable sin or they're not, they're never too far um, from it. It we all struggle with it, and mm-hmm. so it's costly. Um, and there will be a blessing, though, if we choose, you know, to follow Jesus in it. So in Mark eight thirty-four, Jesus is very clear. We w- This is a very familiar verse, but we can boldly declare, declare this as well. So we got to give him the truth um, that we should. Um, deny ourselves the Mm. cost of following him is to deny ourselves take up our cross and then follow him and so um, there has to be a denial of this okay so out of love and in community and then showing them good hospitality we're just going to approach this sin the same as other besetting sins so um, if that person comes in um, a, a question I think is fair to ask after you've loved them and you have a relationship with them that's the best way um in relationship Mm. you know just ask if you claim to be a christian and claim that jesus is your lord does jesus have the right to tell you what what would be wrong or that that would be a wrong way to live or a wrong thing to do and then it's the balls in their court and jesus said it (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) like we boldly can ask this but jesus said like you must deny yourself Um, and so anyway if they say yes then show them in scripture what jesus has told us and what we know to be true Mm -hmm. um, because of the word of god if no then it really does just show that their god is not jesus and so the issue is not The same-sex attraction—it's deeper. It's on a heart level. Um, They need the Lord. They need the gospel. Um, Mm. The truth, though, is He is so worth it. (laughs) Um, He has uh, come to give us life and life to the full. And um, so, yeah, that is—that is kind of how I would approach it.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I love uh, some of the thoughts about relationally approaching this. Relationally is just such a key. Because, you know, people don't know what you they don't care what you know until they know that you care. Yeah. You know, and relationally, we have to dive in, whether it's homosexuality or a difference in that somebody's struggling with. Like it's going to be the people that are close in those relationships that are going to be able to address tough issues the best. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you talked about was truth and love yeah. and balancing those two things, figuring out that dynamic Jesus of course man he was he was the one who brought both he knew when to be tough and when to be tender yeah and it was it's strange the the people that you think he would be really tough on he was actually pretty tender with mm-hmm. and of course he's Jesus he's God so he knows the heart better than we do but you know just having those two things if we lose the truth aspect you really do lo- lose the love as well and if love is devoid of truth that's not you know what I'm saying? It's It's got to be a perfect complement of those two things with wisdom, which is difficult. But, yeah, spot on, though, mm. on that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. That was, was well said. That was well said. So will preach.
0: Man. Well, Daniel, one one last question here as we wrap up. Um, talk, talk to us about desire, mm-hmm. uh, sexual desire, and those who are, are struggling with sexual sin. Sure. I feel like a lot of this comes down to our desires. Yeah. And uh, and how does what do we see in Scripture about about that? How can we bring that to being created in the image of God?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, more people today I think are struggling with sexual desires, especially specifically same sex attraction, than I think in previous generations, especially recent generations, because of the world that we're living in. So, if you are if you're someone who's listening right now, um, who has struggled with sexual desires of any sense. Uh, Whether it's same sex attraction or it's a desire for pornography or adultery or something of that sense, any form of sexual immorality, I want you to listen to me because there are, I I have three things to say to you. (laughs) Uh, The first thing that I want to say to anyone who struggles with sex, same sex desire, or sexual immorality of any sense is that you are not alone. Uh, I am right there with you. We are all three. Every. Everyone is right there with you in today's culture, especially, and I think this is just true for history, but in today's culture, especially everyone is struggling with sexual immorality, with evil sexual desires. You are not alone in those desires. The devil will tell you, you are, you may think that you're unique and that no one else feels the same way about things. No one's as deep into it as you are, but trust me, we've all been there and we all will be there and we completely understand you are not alone in those desires. The second thing that you need to understand is that Christ does not condemn you for those things. In John 3, 16 and 17, we see that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. And so that whoever believes in him will not perish. In 17, we see that Christ came to the world not to condemn, not to condemn, but instead to bring eternal life to bring salvation. So, if you are someone who struggles with sexual morality and 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 even especially within the church, do not think that Christ is sitting on his throne looking down on you with condemnation and disappointment because that's not the truth. In John 3, we, in all scripture we see that Christ came not to bring condemnation, but instead to bring salvation from your sin. Number three, do not buy into the lie that that is your identity. The devil wants us to believe that we are, and this is everything we've been talking about, we are completely, uh, who we are is wrapped up in our sexual preferences. That's the trend today, that's the common belief today, and it's not true. Who you are is not based on any desires, whether they're sexual desires or they're they're desires for literally any other sin, gambling, um, gossiping, um, you know, alcoholism, being addicted to alcoholism, all kinds of things, all kinds of sins. Your identity is not wrapped up in any desires that you have, but instead, your identity is wrapped up in God's desires. Your identity, is, identity, is wrapped up in Christ's desires. And I love Maddie that you talked about, <clears throat> um, have, have, have talked about how we have to let go of our own desires and, and follow Christ. Um, you know, give up those desires. So your identity can be wrapped up in those desires if you are not willing to be submissive to Christ. But Christ came because he doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to bring you into fellowship with him. So if you have those desires, let them go. Give them to God. Submit to him and let him become who you are. Your identity is wrapped up in Christ. That's all I've got.
0: man. And hey, I just want to close on um, this uh, verses that came after that, First Corinthians six eighteen that you read, it says this: Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Mm-hmm. So glorify God in your body. And uh, yeah, TBC, this message, just the exact same things that both of you guys are sharing about our identity being in Christ, Christ's love for us, His uh, gift of salvation to us, um, and and community. You know, we want to be a community that is a hospital for the hurting, and and we want to establish a community that's redemptive in its at its core, uh, not condemning um, and not um, so evil, filled with wickedness, and and just uncaring about uh, truth and love. You know, we want to be that community that's that's displaying that at TBC, and, and that really is something that we talk about quite often for our for our church family. So. Appreciate you mentioning those three things. Maddie, thanks for coming on.
2: Of course, again. it's fun.
0: Yeah. You always add a, a good voice and dimension to mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. male dominated voices <laughs> yeah. over here. Me and me mm-hmm. and Daniel.
1: Conversations are so flat until Maddie comes in and just like brings excitement to it all. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes. I'm gonna wife into the podcast down yes. here. Which is good. But um, but yeah, we do we love and care for you for the next three episodes as we continue to talk about sexuality and gender. Um, we just, we want you to know that this is a a place of a a source of truth that we're going to, we're going to God's word and a community that, um, is redemptive at its core. So thanks again for tuning into hidden God and we'll see you guys next time to talk about some queer theory and homosexual hermeneutics.